I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Log Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Finsider Radio. I'm joined by Certain the Soccer Dad and Hausstradamus. And of course, I am the one <laughs> and the only MC Money. And boy, do we have a jam-packed show to talk to you tonight because we have a bunch of new players here on the Miami Dolphins that we need to discuss. And we're going to go through pick by pick, round by round, and talk about the value the Dolphins got. We're going to talk about the players the Dolphins got. We're going to talk a little bit about how they might fit into the team and what we can expect from the new players this coming season and beyond, and also what it might mean for other players currently on the roster. So we had seven draft picks on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Of course, Charles Harris in round one. Raekwon McMillan in round two, which I know how to super stoked about. Absolutely. And 
in round three, which is really the compensatory pick, Cordria Tankersley. Isaac Asiata in round five. Remember, the Dolphins didn't have any round four picks. Then uh, we had Devon Godchalks. I don't know how to say his last name. And after that, we had Vincent Taylor. And then in the seventh round, which I think was the absolute best value of the draft, wide receiver Isaiah Ford. And we're going to kind of go through these. And as if you were following me on Twitter during the draft, you'll notice that I posted uh, consensus grades and overall grades. And that kind of thing. And we're kind of going to go through that as we go through each pick. But how, son, before we start diving in, and I know we have a lot of activity on the live thread tonight. We have some questions coming in on Twitter. We had a crazy show last week with the mock draft. A lot of callers, tons of listeners. You guys have been absolutely fantastic this offseason. You know, there's not a lot of football going on. But at the same time, there is a lot of football going on. But the interest level obviously connects to other sports with basketball, baseball, hockey, and so forth. So we do thank the several thousand people that listen to this show each and every week. And we are looking forward to growing that as we get closer to the season when we jump into spring training, not spring training. Oh my God. When we jump into training camp, when we jump into training camp and then the regular season. All right. So Sutton, what did you think of the draft? And then how, so we're going to get your first person account of the draft once Sutton's done. Overall, you saw the big picture kind of unfolding pick by pick and it very clear that the Dolphins wanted to address the defensive side of the ball. And for a lot of us, that was a breath of fresh air. You know, it's, we want a complimentary football team and we saw in games last year, the defense just didn't have enough horses. Obviously the injuries didn't help either, but you can tell it's just not a playoff type defense yet. And maybe with this injection of young talent, then maybe we can make some noise. And I thought it was – I was a little lukewarm on Charles Harris, and I'm, I, I know we'll get into this. Um, so I was a little bit nervous going into day two. I really like what they did in day two and then throughout day three. Um, so it's going to be great to see how this unfolds. And, and Charles Harris, what great greater mentors does he have to teach him how to play the game of football and and have kind of – lowered expectations for this year, which I think is going to be a, a good thing for us fans and a good thing for Charles Harris as well. Yeah, well, absolutely. House before, House, before you continue, let me just jump in and give us some background for people who don't know. House was actually at the draft in Philadelphia about 800 rows back uh, from the stage, but he <laughs> nonetheless was able to get up a little closer. He was able to get about to about the 300th row when they announced that Charles Harris was the pick how I want to know, and we want to know, and all of our faithful followers and listeners and insider radio fanatics want to know what was it like on day one of the NFL draft? All right. Well, first I just want to clear something up. I was not 300 rows back. I was about maybe 12 rows back when the dolphins finally made that selection. As soon as the Eagles picked, I mean, that place cleared out like the plague or something just happened. So, I mean, it was awesome <laughs> that all those Eagles fans left, and I was able to move up there to see that Charles Harris pick. Uh, I know we touched on it a bit on Twitter throughout the week. Beer was ridiculous. I think I got two shock tops, which, I mean, that's not a very good beer. 25 ounces. It was $12. Got an awesome-ass cheesesteak, which, I mean, Tony Luke's, their cheesesteaks are, are great. But, I mean, just the entire atmosphere, being able to see the Lombardi Trophy, uh, pose next to JHI's locker room, just everything. Super Bowl rings, free free gifts. I mean, it was it was a good time, and for my wife and I, we really enjoyed ourselves. 
But, I mean, those Philly fans, they came out, they rocked it exactly the way you would expect Philly to do. And for me, the biggest thing, I mean, when you're watching at home, it's great to see those expert analysis, uh, Mike Mayock, Kuiper, them talk about it. But when you're actually at the draft, I mean, it's complete silence. And they kept bringing Alex Flanagan and uh, Maurice Jones-Drew out in between picks. And, I mean, I, I have nothing against her, but sometimes she sounds like she has peanut butter on the roof of her mouth. And to listen to her and <laughs> short stack Maurice Jones-Drew just continue to talk about nothing relevant in between picks. I mean, it was a little frustrating. And then, I mean, Roger Goodell, every time he came out, just sees a boost. So, I mean, overall, it's a great experience. It's something I've always wanted to do. And just to be there for that first day. And to hear, ultimately, Charles Harris' name called, I mean, it, it was awesome. Now, House, when I went uh, on day three in their last year in New York, they gave us some bags and they gave us headphones to listen in. It's either NFL Network or ESPN or their actual radio. Did they give you that option there, or did you just not get the free stuff because you were too yeah. late or too far back? Yeah, I mean, when you get there, they have a standby line where you can sign up and eventually get to sit down and, like, used to get headphones. But – when you get there, they don't tell you any of that stuff. So my wife and I, yeah. we were probably one of the top 20 people in there at the draft. And the first thing it says is go to the draft theater. So we're walking all the way down to the, where the theater is, the stage. There's nothing there. So we asked someone, he tells us that the, the sign ends up on the left-hand side. So we completely walk past it. We go up there, we sign in. By the time we do, we're uh, 1,200th in line. So, I mean, by the time it was pick 24, I think we were finally allowed to go in and sit down. But at that point, we were, like I said, eight, ten rows back. So, I mean – it, it was almost like a concert atmosphere. I mean, you saw the sea of people. We were towards the front of that, so it wasn't so bad. But to be able to sit inside, like you said, and be able to listen to that stuff on headset would have been a, a hell of a lot nicer. Yeah, absolutely unreal, man. And on TV, it was just absolutely insane. Um, I think the NFL moving this draft around is one of the best things they ever could have done. It creates almost a Super Bowl atmosphere for the teams that really can't host a Super Bowl because of the cold weather, right? Philadelphia, you never think to host the Super Bowl. New York, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, I think. You know, kind of a special thing. I don't think we'll see the Super Bowl go back to a cold-weather city for a very long time. Um, but, yeah, it's going to create a lot of competition to see who can outdo the next. And right. I, I think the one complaint I have is the TV is so slow. And I know – Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean – I was trying my absolute best, right, to stay off Twitter, to not look at any tipped picks in the first round. That's hard for you, I know. Literally, by the 10th pick, they were already behind. It was, yep. it was nuts. And I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever fix it. But by the end of the first round, I was on Twitter following along. And second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, I was on Twitter the entire time. I had the draft on as background noise in the background, but in terms of getting the picks, I, I turned to Twitter. And it's unfortunate because that's part of the excitement of the draft is the suspense, right, of knowing who, not knowing who your team is going to pick, thinking you're not going to know who the team is picking, and then Roger Goodell says something totally different, right? That's part of the excitement. It happens to the Dolphins fans plenty of times. Just look at Brady Quinn and Ted Gidd Jr., I think that was the biggest, <laughs> oh, my God, moment that there has been in a long time, including last year, too. I mean, people kind of thought Tunsil would be the pick, but their Miles Jack was on the board as well. So people thought that Miles Jack would be the pick. And then this year, Reuben Foster was on the board, and people yep. thought that might yep. be the pick. But when you got Twitter going on, you get you see all the picks way in advance, and, and it kind of kills the suspense there. Um and I know I'm on a soapbox right now, but that's just the way I feel about it. But, hey, no, you're right, though. 
TV has to fix that. I mean, they're able to show 45 consecutive minutes of a soccer game without commercial interruption. I'm sure they can find some kind of middle ground with the advertisers to, you know, that's like premium Boku money right there. You have to spend because you're going to show 45 minutes straight, then maybe take a commercial break. But well, that is, show a, that is, we need to show a lot of live coverage first. That that is that is the tough part, right? Because the draft is so big now, especially on day one, that advertisers want to get their money money's worth, and the TV companies want to make money off the ads. So, but they, I think you're right. They need they do need to find that uh, middle ground there and try to figure something out because. I think over time, if it continues, you'll see the ratings on the draft start to go a little down each and every year because you have the instant reaction on Twitter. And Yeah, and you, you guys told me to stay off Twitter, which I did uh, round one. But once it got to be like round three, it ended up being, you know, five minutes sometimes behind what, what Twitter uh-huh. was bringing to you. And it's, you know, it's, once you get into day three, the the picks lose a little bit of the luster. So you're not really that concerned with what they do. You're just curious who they get. So to have that instant information later on in day three and stuff, I, I was cool with that. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. It was mostly day one where you want to stay off Twitter. Cause like, like yeah. you've said, I mean, they, they spoil picks. I know Armando, he was ahead of everyone. It's like, damn dude, like let us at least enjoy it a little bit, you know? Armando yeah, was yeah, with Cordrea too. Armando was ahead, but the guy that absolutely killed it Slater. was Andy Slater. He had, I think, no, Slater's about, good. He had just about every single pick. He he missed a few um, in the seventh round. That we're not going to get nitpicky over that, but he was pretty much on the entire uh, draft. And to have that kind of information, to be the only one with that kind of information, is really phenomenal. All right, yeah. let's jump right in with pick number 22. The Miami Dolphins select defensive end Charles Harris. And I know there was some talk with Charles Harris leading up to the draft where in terms of people really weren't sold on him, right? People, Other people like T.J. Watt. Some people like Tack McKinley, who went before the Dolphins selected. Some people like Derek Barnett, who went before the Dolphins selected. Other people like Taco, uh, like someone on this um, <laughs> podcast, but there was a lot of lot of uh, lot of questions and discussion around that pick, right? And then to make matters worse, who was on the board when 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 it was time for the Dolphins to pick? Not only was Forrest Lamp on the board, right? Not only was Reuben Foster on the board, but there were plenty of other players like Taco Charlton who was there for the taking. But the Dolphins made the pick. They had an opportunity to trade. And Peter King's Monday morning quarterback, he said that the 49ers had called the Dolphins to uh, to see if they'd be interested in moving back to the uh, second round, to the top of the second round. And the Dolphins, of course, said no. So, so they had plenty of options there. And I'm just going to load this up here and see who else was on the board at the time. Njoku. A few picks afterwards. So the Dolphins picked at 22. Uh, we yeah, know Jabril that Peppers was there. We know that OJ Howard went uh, at number 19 to the Buccaneers. That would have been another interesting dilemma because we know that Adam Gase loved OJ Howard. And I was hoping Malik Hooker fell a couple more picks, man. That he got to 15. Yeah. I was hoping, man, if 
if he got down maybe one or two more spots, he would be a dude I'd be willing to trade up for. But Absolutely. That but, uh, Jabril Peppers, Tack McKinley, Tredavious White, Taco Charlton, David Njoku, TJ, TJ Watt, and Ruben Foster, I would say all those guys who went from 25 to 31 could have easily been in play for the Dolphins, and I think the Dolphins would have been happy with any of those guys. Uh, but the Dolphins stood pat because they liked what Charles Harris could bring to the table. In my consensus rankings, which was this, it was four scores ranked across four uh, draft guides. The draft guys were inside the pylon, Ian Wharton, Optimum Scouting, and Dane Brugler. So I took the scores for each player from each one of those guys. If they didn't rank that player, I gave that player a three, which was the lowest grade they could have gotten on my consensus board. I then took the average of those four numbers to create one score for each player and then ranked them accordingly, overall chart, and then horizontal board ranked by position. And then I gave each pick a value rank, which was basically their – the spot they were selected and minus their actual overall ranking. So for example, Charles Harris based on the consensus rankings was ranked number 31. He was picked at 22. So 31 minus 22, that's a difference of negative nine. That tells me the dolphins reached a little bit by nine picks, but if well, as we go on, we'll talk about the other picks and you'll see they got tremendous value elsewhere. And that's kind of nitpicking, right? Because nine picks, and it can go any other way um, and any other direction in terms of evaluation and people's opinions on certain players. Remember, these guys have watched plenty of tape. I did not watch any tape. I just took scores from draft guides. I averaged them out. Of course, there was still plenty of work because I had to go through each draft guide. But in terms of actually putting in the hours that others do, I did not. So for me to say it was a reach, I can say it based on my rankings. To say it was a reach based on tape or whatnot, I cannot certainly say that for sure. So, Houts, I'm going to start with you because I know you were a huge fan of Taco Charlton, and I know you would have absolutely loved that to be Miami's pick. So what did you think of the Charles Harris pick, and are you super excited for him? Yeah, well, let's just start. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the draft, like we said, live. I'm waiting as each pick goes by, just praying that Ruben Foster's there, and then Foster comes, and I just know in my heart that for some reason Miami's going to pass on him. Uh, you did mention Taco Charlton. I was a huge fan of him. For me, though, he's one of those boomer bust prod, uh, prospects for me, and I, I think I said it a few times on Twitter and in our group chat. I think Charles Harris was a safe pick. I think you look at Cameron Wake, he's 35 years old. Uh, you got Andre Branch, Hazy on a one-year deal, but, I mean, Miami definitely needed a pass rusher. You see what Charles Harris did in college. I think he racked up 18 sacks uh, throughout his three years at Missouri, 136 total tackles. So, I mean, he has the production. Uh, I did watch a little bit of film on him. Uh, and for me, I mean, that acceleration, the burst off the line of scrimmage, and then that deadly spin move. So, I mean, for me, you got a guy that loves football. I, I love seeing uh, Jack Links and the Sasquatch in the background when he got drafted. That's pretty, that pretty cool. You don't really see that all, all that much. And, I mean, <laughs> just for me, like, like Sutton said earlier, you got Charles Harris. He's coming in here. He's going to learn behind Cameron Wake for at least a year or two. And, I mean, this year he should just be a situational pass rusher's uh, – it was a safe pick, and I mean, even before the draft started, uh, Armando said that the two names were Derek Burnett and uh, Derek Barnett and Charles Harris. So I mean, it really wasn't that big of a surprise. And overall, I'm I'm excited for the the pick. How about you, son? I, I know you said at the top you were a little upset. Not a little upset. Maybe just lukewarm on it. Um, certainly, it's a high value position. It's the most. Um, it's most impactful position that can be played on defense and, you know, corners getting kind of close there. But anyway, you know, so 
it made sense that they would draft a defensive end, and it also makes sense that they would draft Charles Harris. The, the more I've looked into it, I'm feeling a little bit better about it just because House just alluded to it. He's got the intangible factor there. It seems like a, a blue-collar, high work ethic uh, with some athleticism there too. You know, sometimes that can undersell uh, the draftee. But, no, in this particular case, it, it's kind of married with some athletic talent there. Now, granted, the, the measurables um, from the combine weren't what I'd like to see, but I would rather have a guy that flashes on film and is slow at the combine than the other way around. You know what I mean? So um, I'm getting more comfortable with the pick. And like I said earlier, I think because he can come in as a situational pass rusher, uh, probably put on a few more pounds so he's able to withstand the, the rigors of the running game in the NFL. I think once he gets that under his belt, then looking into next year, we can kind of have higher expectations for what he's going to do. But who knows, maybe he comes in, senses this apathy in the base, and he comes out and gets 10 sacks. You never know what's going to happen. So, uh, obviously, rooting for the guy, and uh, best of luck to him. Yeah, uh, so a lot of – I see some chatter on Twitter right now from Esteban Sabrero was talking about Ruben Foster and saying he thinks he would have been the pick at 22. Like you said, House, there were plenty of concerns about his injury – and his rotator cuff and shoulder. And there are reports coming out today from Roto World that he most likely will need another surgery before the start of the season. So that's a very, very tricky situation. The 49ers were quoted in Monday morning quarterback saying that they were prepared to take him at number three overall or in the top 10 if they had traded down as they did before and didn't get who they wanted. Um, Obviously, when you take him at 31 and the position San Francisco was in, it presents a little less risk in terms of risk versus reward and putting in your value picks for that. We'll have to see how that shakes out. The thing about Alabama and the thing they get knocked down a lot is the guys coming from there is that they play in such a pro system and get pushed so hard that they are really never healthy, fully healthy and fresh when they come <laughs> to the NFL. Yeah. So that yep. we've heard that been said about CJ Mosley. We've heard them say that about Derrick Henry and it will continue because they get pushed so hard under Nick Saban Oh, God, I hate that guy. They get pushed so hard uh, under him that, yeah, they're just not healthy when they get to the NFL. Dane Brugler ranked Charles Harris number five defensive end in his uh, draft guide. He basically says this, his strengths. Charles Harris is built, built well for the position with adequate thickness and arm length. He has outstanding initial quickness to win off the snap. One of his weaknesses, he struggles versus angle blocks, loses contain too often on film, which we know that's one of his weaknesses in terms of trying to uh, play against the run. The summary that Dane Brugler gave was this. Uh, this is verbatim. A two-year starter at Missouri, Harris became a starter as a sophomore, and it quickly became evident he would keep the Missouri pass rush pipeline alive and well, lined up at left and right defensive end, standing up with his hand and with his hand on the ground. He is an explosive edge rusher with excellent body control off the snap, and a diverse set of hand tactics to break down blockers. His momentum tends to slow at contact and doesn't show the same quickness off blocks, which reflects his lack of polish at the position. But Harris has a frame, get-off, and pass rush promise to develop into a scheme versatile NFL edge rusher, borderline first-round pick. There's the lowdown on Charles Harris. Called him a borderline first-round pick, which is what my rankings basically were, the nine spots in terms of uh, the value associated with that. 
But Charles Harris will be in the rotation with the other guys, Cameron Wake, Andre Branch, Terrence Fidei, if he makes the team. But um, Charles Harris will be in the top four rotation. And imagine him, Cam Wake, and Adamican Sue rushing the passer on third and long. And we might get a repeat of Bryce Petty in New York last year where Sue and Cam Wake <laughs> and Charles Harris coming around the back end and just putting the final touches on that. Should be a very fun uh, player to watch as we head into the season. Okay, let's move on to pick number 54, which was in the second round, of course, Raekwon McMillan. I think this may have been House's favorite pick of the entire draft. On my board, he was ranked number 62 overall. Again, according to this value, a little bit of a reach, but that's being nitpicky minus eight. Uh, but when you look at it, of course, when you have a player, obviously you can't trade down and risk it. You can't pick him up again in eight spots, so you got to take the pick where you got to take the pick. And here's a little bit of inside information for all you folks. Raekwon McMillan was the target the entire time in the second round. There is no one else the Dolphins wanted more in the second round than Raekwon McMillan. So, and your thoughts on the pick, and then we'll go to House. Yeah, I, I won't spend too much time because I know House is just gushing right now. And um, But it's pretty awesome because I'm a Buckeye fan too, so it's nice to have that um, that dual player. You know, that's why I like my Brian Hart lines and Ted Ginn's. But whatever, you know, it was uh, – it was a great pick, I thought, and I, I, you know, you know, I wanted linebacker in the first round, but to come here in the second round and then still have your choice between Raekwon McMillan and Zach Cunningham, that was a pretty good thing. And you know, they flip a coin, you know, and we went Raekwon McMillan, and it makes sense. We he's going to help us more in that run defense department than Cunningham would have. But I just love, again, the intangibles that this guy has, the leadership. He was a a two-year defensive captain. He was team captain his junior year, which doesn't happen at Ohio State all that often, Uh, a tackling machine, efficient. He's a technician, and he's smart. So I'll let Houts take it from here. But he's, he's a great player, and I think we were tremendously lucky to get him in the second round. Yeah, I completely agree with Sutton. I mean, I was uh, – I couldn't believe either. I mean, you got Zach Cunningham there, another player that I was pretty high on, and then Raekwon McMillan, maybe my favorite player in this year's draft. I mean, we're both Buckeye fans. We both enjoy the Buckeyes. So, I mean, we, we know who he is, a guy that's just a leader on the field, has all the intangibles. He, he gets the defense in the right position. And, I mean, like uh, like Kanata said, he was the pick all along. Miami felt like they were going edge in the first and then going to get Raekwon McMillan. I mean, he's 20 years old. He's going to be a part of this team for hopefully years to come, and I'm just excited to watch Raekwon McMillan play. I think he's a, a sure tackler. He's all around the football, very rarely takes uh, extra steps. And, I mean, he's, he's just a playmaker, just a guy that loves the game of football, just loves to go out there and, and win. I mean, to put him in that linebacking core alongside Timmons this year and Kiko Alonso, I mean, I, I – Really like what Miami did. We came into this draft. We knew we had to upgrade defense, and that's exactly what they did. So, I mean, Raekwon McMillan coming away this second round with a pick like that, I mean, that was a home run pick. So let's look at Optimum Scouting's uh, scouting report on Raekwon McMillan. I'm picking Optimum Scouting because they had the highest grade on McMillan out of all four of the guys, but not by much. They were all pretty consistent. People have been talking about McMillan and where he was going to play. 
some have said the Sam position, which is the strong side linebacker position. And for those who aren't aware, the they usually line up on the strong side, of course, as the name suggests, of the set coverage and offense. And they usually line up across from the tight end. And this is really the left outside linebacker. In contrast to the weak side linebacker, which is the will, they're often in coverage and they're chasing and they need to be fast. So people have been talking about Raekwon as the Sam. Some have said he might play middle. Well, let's just look at what Optimum Scouting had to say. His pass defense, McMillan is not a stud on passing downs, okay? So that kind of gives you an idea of why they wouldn't want him to play Will because that person's in coverage a lot. But there is no reason to take him off the field. Many linebackers, as Optimum Scouting says, struggle with the mental side of coverage despite having the athletic profile necessary for college coverage. McMillan has enough athletic ability and is often mentally prepared to hold down his assignment in coverage. He's not going to be the type of linebacker who poaches hook zones and snags sneaky interceptions. The summary basically says he does not have many holes in his profile. He was an elite, 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 whatever, high school recruit who fully fulfilled his five-year status throughout his three years at Ohio State, has the athletic ability to stay on the field for all three downs and carry out a variety of assignments, and his film is super impressive. And it goes on and talks about how he's a great tackler, how he, how he runs with force, how he has the strength and technique to bring down guys when he gets them. It's a very long summary. I'm not going to read it all, but end of the day, Dolphins fans should be very excited about what Raekwon McMillan brings to the table. And I am going to talk about Zach Cunningham in a second, but I do want to say we have a very special guest on hold. We're going to bring this very special guest on to Finsider Radio, and it is none other than the managing editor of Finsider Radio, Dot com Kevin Nogle. Kevin, how are you tonight? I am well. I'm not really, really built up like a big special thing. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime the boss calls in, it is an amazing, amazing event. So, Kevin, what do you got for us? What's up? How are you feeling today? Uh, I, I, I know you guys are talking the draft, and you guys are talking a lot about it, all the picks breaking them down, but. Just as a whole, just looking at it, I thought the Dolphins did really well. I know there are people out there that are having issues with, hey, you took like Harris in the first round. That's not going to give you a starter right away. But you know what? I think this team set themselves up for not just 2017, but for years to come. They have in-house replacements now. They have guys that they can groom to be exactly what they want. And they're going to set themselves up so that way next year they are looking for, hey, where's that one stud we can get instead of, hey, we need to fill a bunch of holes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. right. I mean, you look at Charles Harris, right? He'll replace Cam Wake. You look at Raekwon McMillan. He'll replace Lawrence Timmons. You look at Cordrell Tankersley. He's going to replace Byron Maxwell. You look at Isaac Asiata. That was a need on the line. He's going to probably not replace anybody because he's going to be plugged in right away. The two defensive tackles got uh, Vincent Taylor and uh, I still don't know how to say his last name. I got to get the uh, spelling. I got the spelling <laughs> yeah. on it. Um, they can possibly replace Nadamik and Sue when his contract is ready to um, expire and the Dolphins are ready to move on from him. And then Isaiah Ford, you know, every draft pick is not going to work out, but you never know. Okay. You never know what that can bring down the road. And I love the pick of the two defensive tackles back-to-back because what did the team say going in? 
that Jordan Phillips has to be the man this year. They're expecting more yep. of him. But that they also recognize they need depth. They need guys that can rotate in there. So what did they get? They got two guys that even their scouting reports say they're probably not starter material, but they're going to be good rotational guys. And Miami went and got them to plug them into that line right away. I absolutely love what they're doing with the defensive line, Kevin, because they have a nice rotation going where they can bring these guys in and out and have good players coming in and out and not really losing a step. And to keep these guys fresh, because we saw last year in some of the games, especially you know against the Steelers and teams that ran the ball down their throats, they were getting gassed, and deservedly so. You know, players just can't, humans just can't keep up with that kind of abuse continuously like that. But, you know, the two defensive tackles, Gotchalks and uh, Vincent Thieler, and then Charles Harris, and then, you know, combine that with Andre Branch, Terrence today, Cameron Wake, and Dominican Sue, Jordan Phillips, it's going to be one defensive William line. William Hayes. William, William Hayes, Hayes, yes, yep. I forgot about William Hayes. That is going to be one defensive line rotation that is not going to be fun to take on if you're the opposing offensive line. And I think it also gives them flexibility because now you do things like, okay, we're going to put, um, let's say you throw Harris out there on one side, you throw Branch out there on the other, but you want to have some weird look. So suddenly you pull Koamisi off the field and you stick Cam Wake out there as a blitzing linebacker. And, we've and seen now that teams don't know where to go. Yep. And if so, you if you or what you can do is you could put Hayes right. You could put Hayes on one side, Branch on the other. You can put Nadamik and Sue in the middle, and then hell, you could put Cam Wake in the middle if you wanted to. You could put Charles Harris in the middle because Charles Harris did play some defensive tackle as well from time to time in, in college. Or you could put Nadamik and Sue on the outside with Charles Harris on the outside. Or you could do so much with this defensive line. It's going to be absolute hell for all the other opposing teams. And we saw that a little bit last year. They moved Wake to the inside and put Indominus 2 on the outside of him. And suddenly you have Wake playing defensive tackle, and there's no guard going to be able to stop Wake coming across. Yeah. no. As a matter of fact, the the play that Bryce Petty almost died – and yep. Dominicans was lined up at defensive end on that play. Yep. So, yeah, that, that gives them a lot more exotic looks that they can come up with. So I'm sure Matt Burke was just licking his chops with this draft class and looking oh to get to God, work. Man. Yeah. So real quick, let's, let's talk about Zach Cunningham. Kevin, you're, you're more than welcome to stay with us and, and talk here. The Dolphins passed up on Zach, and on my consensus board, he was ranked number 30th overall, was picked at number 57. And I know a lot of fans were upset saying that Zach Cunningham should have been the pick. Kevin, did you have any um, thoughts on that in terms of should Zach Cunningham have been the pick? Did you like Cunningham better I than know, I know you guys have uh, what you guys want to talk about, and you probably already have some thoughts on this, so I won't, I won't talk long on it, but I will say – I thought Cunningham was going to be the pick over McMillan, but the fact that this coaching staff picked this way tells me that they saw something because everything this coaching staff has done so far seems to have been successful. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say Matt Burke looked at the two linebackers and said, I want that guy. And yeah. I'm going to go with their, their, their grades and say they picked that guy for a reason. Yeah, and, and like I said, uh, before you jumped on the line, I was told at the beginning of round two, I wasn't told a name, but I was told the Dolphins have a very specific target in mind. After the pick was made, obviously the person was able to tell me what was going on. 
Uh, but I was told that Raquan McMillan was the target as soon as date as soon as the second round started, and the Dolphins were not backing off that pick. And we saw that it was the pick. And I wonder if it's – I know I'm talking all over you guys, but uh, I wonder if uh, it's also the idea that he gives them the flexibility to play him outside at strong side this year with the idea that he becomes the middle linebacker forever after that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he, I can see that. To Kiko out to the outside house. What did you think about the Cunningham, uh, the Dolphins passing up on Cunningham? Yeah, like I said, I mean, going into this offseason, they were my, two of my favorite linebackers in this draft. I mean, I can definitely see why they go either way. I thought, honestly, Cunningham could have been an option at 22 the way uh, the, I was sticking prior to the draft. But, I mean, when it came down to it, Ray Paul McMillan, he just seems – to be overall better, in my opinion, he's a sure tackler, something that Cunningham showed on film, that he, he did have trouble wrapping up defenders. I think they're both equally as good against the run, and, I mean, people knock on McMillan in his pass coverage, but everything I've seen, he's more than suitable there. So, I mean, he seems to be an upgrade all throughout this defense. And, I mean, Kiko, he's he's not very good in coverage, so I, I'm excited. Like Kevin said, I mean, I could see him definitely being uh, the strong side linebacker this year with the intent on him being our middle linebacker for the future. So, and any thoughts from you about passing up on Cunningham, or are you good with the pick? And me? Yeah, no, the other Sutton on the line. Sir. Oh, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you say Sutton, bro. My bad. Um, yeah, I like Cunningham, obviously, but being a, a Buckeye fan, this is you know awesome too. So I'm not really going to complain about anything. The, the only thing that I, I the thing that I liked about um, Zach Cunningham was how tall he was and his wingspan. I mean, he's like a small forward playing linebacker out there. And just his ability to get to different types of passes over the middle, that was a dream come true for me for watching the Dolphins kind of struggle uh, with their defense in the middle. So to have, you know, like seven-foot-long arms on each side swatting down passes like that seemed pretty intriguing to me. But – at the end of the day, Raquan McMillan's an excellent pick. He's a captain. He's got the leadership. He's got the intelligence. It seems like he's got the work ethic. I mean, it's going to take a whole lot of things for this thing to not work out for him. All right. So we got to go Matt, real first. quick. Yeah, Kevin, go ahead. Real quick. Um, just, I know you hear things I don't always hear. So before or after they picked Harris, the team came out and said, they went in with two primary targets, and Harris was number one, and they clearly got him. But yeah. do you think if Harris wasn't there, would McMillan have been the first-round pick? Is that a possibility that that was the other guy because they wouldn't say who it was? No. So here's what I was told actually this morning. They were dead set on going defensive end in round one, so the pick would have been Taco Charlton if uh, Harris wasn't there. Okay. And then uh, – I just I, – that makes sense. I just I didn't know if because they were so hey we're not going to say who it was that it was the guy they wanted to get in the second round. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they, they were they were looking at Barnett, Harris, or Taco. So it was either going to be Harris or Taco in round one, and then uh, Raycon was a target all along and all around in uh, in round two. So that makes a lot stuff. of sense. Okay. Stuff. All right, we do have another caller before we go to line, uh, round three. We're going to bring this caller on the phone. Thank you for holding. Welcome to Finside Radio. What is your name? What is your question? And you know what? We're going to give this one this to is... Kevin. <laughs> this is Dolphin fan for life. 
Christoph, what's up, buddy? Welcome, Christoph. Nothing much. I just wanted to comment about how it seems like the last couple of seasons something's been happening with both the free agency and the draft where it seems like they're actually complementing each other better. And typically we would like focus on one side of the ball or just say, hey, we have this need, let's plug it with a free agent guard and go out and draft two guards. And, you know, instead it's more like a complementary setting. But my question is, is do you think this is going to be the norm now or do you think, like, what exactly is going to happen and who's to credit for it? All right, we're going to, first off, thank you for calling. I'm going to put you on hold while Kevin takes care of this question for you. I think that the, the, the way to look at it is not so much how they're looking at free agency and how they're looking at the draft, but rather how the three guys in power work together. Because Mike Tannenbaum, Chris Greer, and uh, Adam Gase seem to be on the same page, and that's not something that we could say before the GM and the head coaches of the last couple tenures, they always seem to, oh, yeah, we, we, we talk all the time and all this stuff, but there was always that friction that got reported and, oh, there's a little bit of a power struggle and all this kind of stuff. And we don't seem to hear that anymore. So I think that's where you're seeing the success is these three guys are sitting down and going, hey, this is what we need. This is what I would like. And then they agree, they sort it all out, and then they attack and I think that's where you're seeing it. Now, individually, are you going to see, um, as, 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 as was described, complementary moves? I think so, because I think what you're seeing is they are using free agency to create flexibility both for the roster and for the draft. And I think that's the way you're going to see it. Are they going to go out at some point and make a splash move to grab a big-name free agent? Probably at some point, but – I think that they are being smart and that hashtag new Miami thing, that's going to be here for a while, I think. Mm, I, I agree with you. The attitude and culture have changed. The staff has been together for a year now leading into this draft. We saw last year very targeted moves in the draft with trade-ups and so forth. I think that had to do a lot with them not being together, you know, only for two or three months before setting the draft board. But now they really know each other. We saw targeted. And we already had a defensive, and we already had a defensive coordinator get signed as a head coach somewhere. So (laughs) we're not quite used to that either. We we did see a targeted approach this year, but we did not see the trade ups that we saw last year. Because I feel like last year they needed to get those players because that's the players they did extensive study on. This year, I think they had all their ducks in a row, and I think we're going to see even more improvement and efficiency. As we move forward. All right, Christoph, thank you for calling Finsider Radio. All right, let's move into the third round now with the Dolphins' third round pick. None other than Cordria Tankersley. And this was a fantastic pick for the Dolphins, in my opinion. Because what this was, was a guy who was rated number 56 on my consensus board. He was picked number 97 overall. A value difference of plus 41, which is very good. Average score of 8.06 out of 10 on the horizontal board. He was ranked in tier number two. 
and he was ranked, let's see, in number 10 cornerback on the board out of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, out of about 20, about 30, let's see, about 38 cornerbacks. So, Cordria Tankersley, I think, is going to be a tremendous pick. He is from Clemson. I think he's a little raw, still needs to work on a few things and, and his technique a little bit. But he's going to fit very nicely into that secondary. And perhaps it could be Howard, Tankersley, and Lippitt holding down the secondary after this season once probably Maxwell departs. So, And your thoughts on Tankersley? Definitely fits the Dolphins' prototype in the secondary on the boundary for sure. Um, got great athleticism. He said that. He's got great size for the position. The one thing that I was worried about with this selection, uh, granted I think it was great value, is the number of PI calls that he had over the course of his career. I believe it was eight or nine. So I think uh, that's going to be called a little bit more rigorously and all the you know defensive holdings and illegal contacts, all that kind of stuff is on a whole different playing field, so to speak, with the NFL compared to college. So that's where the technique – that's where that's going to come in so he can not hurt this club by giving up 15-yard, 10-yard, 5-yard penalties and automatic first down. So, um, But, again, he's made some plays, too, so he's got kind of that um, boomer bust aspect to him. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if he can play some consistent football at a high level. House, I know you're a huge fan of cornerbacks. You study cornerbacks a lot. What do you think of uh, Tankersley? You're always He's a guru. Doing, yeah, you're you're always doing this to me. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, like you both said, he has the skills. I think he's definitely the uh, eventually going to take over for Byron Maxwell. And I mean, Tankersley, we both Sutton mentioned his pass interference penalties in college. I mean, that that same issue was on tape with Xavier Howard last year. He seemed to be pretty handy. Uh, guy that got the got calls throughout college. So I mean, that's not really a concern for me. I like his. His build, I like the the skills that he brings to the table. And I mean, Miami had a huge need at corner or in the secondary in general. So, I mean, to get that kind of value where they did, I think it was a great pick and it could end up being the uh, the sleeper of this draft for our, our defense. Yeah, absolutely excellent value. Noble, what were your thoughts on this draft pick for the Dolphins? I think Sutton and Hoste, they uh, basically talked it all. Um, you do get that prototypical what Miami wants, big wide receiver who's going to be able to press coverage and get into man-to-man. And that, that's where you're looking for how Miami looks at cornerbacks. So I think that's exactly what he is. But the penalties are a concern. I think it's a great point that, hey, Howard had the exact same concern coming out, and we didn't see it so much last year. Um, I think that what you end up probably seeing is in training camp, when those referees are there and on the ground, they're going to be like, hey, look, we want you to call it tough on him. Anytime he touches, throw that flag. And you start to get him into that. As soon as he passes five yards, he can't touch. And so there's ways to coach out those issues. But I thought it was absolutely the perfect pick at that point. Like I said, the the value pick on Tankersley was plus 41. And at that time, after the third round was done, I had tweeted out that the Dolphins were in the top three in terms of the best value for their uh, picks there. Believe it or not, Isaiah Ford actually had a much higher one. 
I'm just going to pull that up real quick here. He had a plus 178, the second best in the entire draft. And we're going to get to Isaiah Ford uh, next week. Because what I want to do, I don't want to shortchange the fifth-round fifth picks, the sixth-round pick, and the seventh-round pick. Because they are all very good players. The Dolphins got tremendous value for them. I really want to spend a lot of time talking about them. So we're going to push those three, those, uh, those four players to next week. So that's a little teaser for you guys to make sure you tune in next week to get the load down on the later part of the draft. We kind of went in depth here with Charles Harris, with Rayquan McMillan, and Cordrail Tankersley. I do want to get to the live thread to answer the questions there and the questions that we have on Twitter to make sure we hear those people. So we're going to wrap up the show with that. So Sutton and House, if we can head to the live thread, I do know we have a few questions, actually a lot of questions, and see what we can get on the air tonight. And we'll throw Kevin some questions as well. So Sutton, read your first one, answer it, and then House, you're going to read yours, and you're going to throw yours as uh, Noble. All right, we have a longtime fan here. He's been lurking on the website for five-plus years and decided to post his first question to the podcast. So, so long? Um, <laughs> shout out to Justum, J-U-S-T-U-M. And right, we Justin. kind of touched on it a little bit. I want to make sure that everybody um, got their thoughts on this. Is McMillan, where's, what position is he going to play in a linebacker unit, and where do you see everybody fitting in? I'm gathering that the overall consensus is Alonzo at the will, Timmons in the middle, and then uh, McMillan at strong side linebacker. I think that that's a decent rotation. Uh, I think you could also flip-flop Timmons and McMillan and just play McMillan in the middle and have Timmons play on the strong side. I think either one of those, but we can't ignore the fact of nickel linebacker. That's not getting talked about very much. So wouldn't be surprised to see Neville Hewitt sprinkled in there and some nickel coverage. All right. But what did you guys, do, do, where do you guys see McMillan at linebacker? I think he's going to start at Sam. Out. I'll agree. I'll, I'll agree. I'll jump on it. Sorry. I'll agree. I think he starts at Sam. I I would not be surprised this year if we do see some of Kalamiki still because he is a solid tackler. He is a solid run defender. Um, but I think you see McMillan start at Sam, um, maybe working through some of the middle during the year. But this year I think it's Sam, and then in the future he moves back towards the middle. Yeah, remember the remember the middle linebacker has to line up the defense in front of him at and communicate the plays. There'll be too much for Raekwon as a rookie, I think, in year one. But as Kevin just stated, over time, I think he will transition nicely into the middle linebacker position. All right, House, what do you have for a question? You're going to throw this one to Noble. All right, this is from Redwood. He asked, I very much approve us taking two defense tackles in this draft, but did we make good choices on the ones we got? We passed on Brantley, Qualls, and I can't even pronounce that, all of whom I believe are more highly rated than either uh, Gatoy or Taylor. Uh, do you think those were the right fits at the time. I do. I, I did not do a lot of study on defensive tackles, um, so I can't say that for sure who was rated above who. Um, there should have been a whom in there, just the English side of me coming out. But uh, <laughs> I think that I think that there's a uh, there's this idea that Miami needed to go get certain defensive tackles that can uh, uh, destroy the middle of the line, create pressure up the middle. And I don't think that's what Miami needed to do at all. I think they needed, like I said earlier, just those rotational guys that can get in there and be like, hey, 
And Dominican Sue, you don't have to play 8 million snaps this year. Come out, catch your breath, <laughs> go back in there on the next passing play and destroy the middle of the line. So I think for that reason, these guys are um, – both of them, I believe, are better run stuffers than pass rushers, and that's what Miami was looking for. So I think it was two great picks that will rotate in. They won't see starting time. They're not going to see a ton of snaps, but they're going to be able to give Phillips and Sue that break that lets those guys then dominate. All right, House, do we have anything else uh, there on the live thread? If we do, you're going to answer this question for us. Okay, here we go. We got one from uh, B. Bickley. How would you feel if the Dolphins gave Raekwon McMillan number 54 to wear? The Cowboys did something similar a few years ago with Des Bryant. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, then he goes on to mention Channing Crowder's 52. I mean, I'd much rather give him Crowder's 52 than, than Zach Thomas's 54. I mean, I think Raekwon McMillan, I mean, I'm a bit biased here, but I think he's going to be a better uh, NFL linebacker than Crowder was. So to give up that 52 won't be a problem, but um, there's no way I give Zach Thomas number 54. You want to give Zach Thomas number uh, 54? I would never give him Twitter, that. No. On Twitter, after he was selected, um, Isaac Asiata posted – I hope I said his name right. I'm not 100% sure on that. But really posted a picture where he, uh, he split his jersey because he was 54 in college. So he split his jersey. So one half was Utah and one half was Dolphins. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you can't no, have that no. number. No. <laughs> but I, I do think that to spin this question most random way possible, I do think that this year the Dolphins have to consider 99 and 54 to be retired. I, I think that they – this is the year Jason goes into the Hall of Fame. You make a big deal out of that. You give him his Hall of Fame ring and all that kind of stuff, and you retire those two numbers because – I don't think the fan base is ever going to allow 54 or 99 to be played again. Absolutely. Yeah. Preach. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, and Taylor's going to the Hall of Fame. So first ballot Hall of Famer, you, I think you have to definitely retire that number. And Zach Thomas is only a matter of time. I think, I think he deserves to be in there. So I think obviously they should look at retiring that number as well. All right. So, and do we have any other questions on the live there before we jump to Twitter? Yeah, just one more quick follow-up on defensive tackle. Redwood asked, do they bring someone in addition to Phillips? So, in other words, are we going to maybe get a veteran that's still out there on the market to come in and compete? Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know who will end up sticking out of those three said individuals, the two six-round picks and said uh, free agent veteran. So, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Obviously, like the young guys to stick on the squad because they deserve to be on it. Um, hopefully that's the way it pans out. All right, we're going to jump over to Twitter. And, Kevin, if you don't know, we have a very loyal Twitter listener, Rob Carruth. He sends us about 25 Carruth. questions every single week. And we only have to pick a few Carruth. of them. But he, he floods our timelines with them. Kevin, I'm going to throw this one to you. He wants to know if Leonte Carruth or uh, Jakeem Grant could be in trouble if Isaiah Ford shows something in training camp. Um, I don't think Carew will be. I think they have a plan for Carew. Um, I think Grant could be. Grant will be an interesting one to watch this year, um, training camp-wise and everything, to see if one, is he handling pumps better, because I think that's the number one thing that they want him to be able to do. And then, two, they've got to figure out a way to get him into the offense. I think Carew is probably the bigger focus on trying to get him involved in the offense, but 
Grant should be involved somewhere, but if Ford comes in and shows something or anybody else really does, Grant is probably the odd man out there. I would have to agree. I think Isaiah Ford is yep. more of a pitcher King Grant than he is to Leontay Carew. I think the Dolphins, unfortunately, it's the business, right? And when you give up that much draft capital, you get a little more chances to show yourself and prove yourself. So I agree. I do think it's more of a, a thing about Jakeem Grant than it is about Isaiah Ford. Rob also asks, of the seven picks, how many will see significant playing time? I'll take this one. Rob, I think obviously Charles Harris, Raekwon McMillan, and depending on what happens with the injuries in the secondary, we could see a lot of Tankersley as well. I think the others will be worked in, or if Asiata secures that starting spot, he'll be a day one starter on the line. All right, so that is going to be it for this week's edition of Finsider Radio. Hey, Matt, I got one more question for you. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to interrupt you. Um, Hollywood Dolphins has asked on the live thread. What, what do you think that? of them? Hollywood Dolphins has asked on the live thread. What do you think of Jawan James getting the fifth-year option? I don't think the Dolphins had a choice, and that's an awesome freaking question because I was going through the same thing in my head too. I don't think they had a choice, right? Because Jawan James, yeah, he's just another guy, right? Um, but the reality is if they don't pick up that fifth-year option, he's a free agent after the end of the season, and they have a need for right tackle when they should be working to fill other holes. I don't think they'll re-sign Jawan James at the end of his free agent contract, but he's a serviceable starter. He improved as the season that went on last year. If he continues to improve, he'll get re-signed. But at this point, I think the Dolphins felt they had too many other holes to keep addressing, and they just didn't want to open up that right tackle position uh, by not picking up that fifth-year option. I, just, I don't see it as a thing that the Dolphins would do because I think in the end it would just hurt them. I, I agree, MC Money. I think that's that's exactly what's going on here. I think that's exactly what's going on. I Thank think you, it Sai. also gives them some flexibility there because it's only injury guaranteed. So at the end of the day, if he doesn't improve this year, they can still cut him, and there's no real effect to the team. So I right. think you get well, that plus, him, and then yeah, and plus I think he, you also yeah, – yeah. Oh, sorry, Kevin. No, no, go ahead. Bushrod's also on a one-year contract, pouncy with his uncertainty. So you just have to take all those variables into consideration when you're looking at this option here that's going to be cheaper for us this year um, than paying a right tackle uh, in the free agent market. So I I think it's a no-brainer. I think you keep as much of that offensive line solidified as you can, and locking him up for another year – keeps that solidity there unless they decide, okay, we can do better. So I think that's where it comes down. So now, Matt, I'll let you close the show. (laughs) So we we talked about the first three picks, and we could go on for another hour because that's how long it would take to talk about the other four players the Dolphins selected. But like I said, I want to make sure we get in their due time because they are good players, who, and some of them will be making a difference this year for the team and could contribute to a few wins as well. So we're going to talk about those other four draft picks next week, so please be sure to tune in and, of course, follow us on Twitter. So we had a great show. We had an unexpected visitor from the man, the myth, the legend himself. Yeah, Kevin. TheFinsider.com. Always a great surprise, and I think the first time he's called in as a surprise guest during our tenure here as uh, host on Finsider Radio. So we look forward to doing that again as well. 
the live thread looked back in action tonight after it was dead for a few weeks due to the you know dullness of the NFL offseason. So I'm glad that we have some new faces as well. Christoph called us again, and Rob Caruth, of course, our number one fan on Twitter. We need to send Rob some fan gear, maybe some autographs for us so he can frame them in his office at home. Um, good, good stuff, guys. Really good stuff. We have a great future to look forward to with the Miami Dolphins. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch them this coming season and beyond. For certain, the soccer dad, Houchstradamus, and the man, the myth, the legend himself, Kevin Nogle, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio, and we'll talk to you next week, next Tuesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Have a good night. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. 
There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.